gets it to first. The Browns are world champions. The Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. The Golden State Warriors return to a familiar place. They're on top of the NBA world. They reach the summit of the Avalanche for 2022 Stanley Cup champions. Here we are, episode number 141 of Four Future Considerations. It's John with Manny and Matt. And guys, tell me, you're going to be celebrating this weekend, right? On Saturday... You're going to have a barbecue. There's going to be fireworks. You're going to maybe break out some champagne, right? Right? The big, huge celebration, the extravaganza. What's taking what place on, going Saturday? on Saturday? Marcus Naslin's 49th birthday, guys. Oh, my God. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, we're definitely going to have to have a cake. <laughs> so I can throw it against the wall. And say, you cost me the pool <laughs> in whatever year that was. Like 1990. That cost me the pool. Brutal. Well, fine. Why would you bring that name up? It's a big day in my house, okay? Is he your favorite Canuck? <laughs> He's never really said, uh, like, Burray, Linden's your guy, and then Burray's right there. But Naslin, I don't think, yeah. gets a lot of love. He'd probably be my number three, I think. So he's your number three behind Lyndon and Burray. Yeah. Kirk McLean would be right in there, too. Okay, okay. Kirk McLean. Top five Canucks. Where's Stan Smeal? See, he was a little before my time, so I was really young when Stan Smeal was there. What about Messier? <laughs> <laughs> Don't trigger me, Matt. Don't do it. Oh, we're just getting started. This is great. The long weekend is here. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. I thought I would share this tidbit since it feels appropriate for our topic and our guest today. It was on this day, July 29th in 2001, that no winner was declared in the Tour de France after Lance Armstrong was disqualified for failing his drug test. Do you guys remember that storyline? That was a big one. That was a big one. The Lance battling cancer, coming back uh-huh. from cancer. One another six in a row or drugs. something like that. Yeah. 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 Cheater. Yeah. He was such a, a display of determination and courage and all of that. And then you find out he's just a giant fake. <laughs> You sound like the narrator in the documentary that uh, featured him. And just a giant. And just like fake. that, he was a fake. And that's why we're talking about wrestling on this show today. <laughs> that's right. It's our second episode of the week. It's called the OT, and we have guests on this episode. Somebody that can actually share some knowledge in whatever sport they may feature, or in this time, not a sport, wrestling. <laughs> And since we don't know a lot about wrestling, we thought we'd bring in a guest as the topic for our show has to do with the rise and fall of Vince McMahon. So if you're not a wrestling fan, don't worry, we're not getting into storylines and pretending that it's real and all that stuff. We're talking about the behind the scenes and the legacy of Vince McMahon with all the developments that have happened. So we thought we would call on a friend of ours who just happens to be a huge wrestling fan to talk about it. This guy is a radio broadcaster in Shelburne, Ontario, working as a newscaster and reporter at Country 105, working with me for one of the 
a million stations owned by Bayshore Broadcasting. He has extensive broadcasting experience producing and hosting a show with Storm and Norm on Sirius XM Radio and also working as a producer for the NHL Network radio station on Sirius. When he's not on the radio, he's the star left fielder for the new Tech Timberwolves slow pitch team, driving to the game in his standard transmission Ford Focus. He's a graduate of the College of Sports Media and a graduate of the School of Kick-Ass because he's a power lifter in his spare time. Don't make him mad, fellas. Please welcome to four future considerations... Phil Deland. Wow, uh, I don't know what to say. I'm taken aback. I'm. I don't know if I'm ready to, uh, you know, blush or run through a wall because I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, we couldn't believe you drove a Ford Focus either. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's uh, a Ford. Ford is a family vehicle. Grandfather worked for Ford. We've all driven Fords. The only one is my filthy traitorous father who drives a Dodge now. <laughs> so wait a minute. You power lift? Can you lift a Ford Focus? Uh, I could I could lift the front end of it, yeah. No problem, no no hesitation yeah. whatsoever. No piece of cake, piece of cake. What are you lifting these days? Uh, in the gym, my deadlifts around five fifty, pushing close to six. Six is the goal. I squat over five fifty and bench over three forty. Like six pounds? <laughs> no, six hundred. Like I can do that, Phil. I mean, <laughs> let's brag about powerlifting here. <laughs> I have to put it in pounds, too, because it doesn't sound as cool if I say kilos, because it cuts everything in half. <laughs> oh, so you got to go with the bigger numbers. Smart man. I got to go with the I got to go with the bigger numbers. In competition, they do kilos. So I actually have an app on my phone that lets me convert from pounds to kilos because I'm a small brain. I can't do the math in my head. So anytime I feel really good about my lift and I put it into kilos, I suddenly feel a lot smaller. Now, it's great that we have you on the show because we heard a rumor that at your gym, they actually have John Rashad's picture up at the gym and his weight. So you guys sort of lift by how many John Rashad's you can put over your head. Is this true? Well, so they've got they've got John's picture up there. It's just his face, and it kind of looks like a mugshot. So it's sort of our motivation to just you know make sure we're strong, so we can handle a guy like that if we see him on the street. <laughs> it's a mean it's a mean look. It's tough. I mean, when you carry as much weight working for Bayshore as John does, you know he's got strong shoulders. So that's always our push is to try to be better than that. You you stand between John Rashad and any sort of fast food restaurant, and you're just asking for it, right? Really. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. I would. I would much rather. I would much rather try to chase down an angry bull than I would stand between John and his food. I know better. <laughs> and you do do that, right? Like you're a farmer in your spare time, right? What's tougher to corral, a bull or John Rashad? It's it's been a minute since I've had to deal with any angry animals. I'll let, the last one I dealt with was a very temperamental hog, uh, and they're low to the ground. They're a lot lower to the ground, so their center of gravity is all off. A lot more difficult to deal with. Uh, John, he's quick on his feet, though, eh? Like side to side. So I'd have to give the advantage to John. Can we set something up at the farm and see if John can take on a hog? Oh yeah, absolutely. We, we could make that happen for sure. Deal. <laughs> This is already the best episode we've done in ages. Beauty. (laughs) I know somebody who's taken down a few hogs in his day. (laughs) I have a few ex-girlfriends like that. Well 
duck. <laughs> so we want to talk about wrestling, but we also wanted to mention something that we know Manny absolutely loves because Matt and I talk about it all the time and Manny enjoys us talking about it so much. 90 Day Fiance, you're a bit of oh, a fan. No. <laughs> so I, I, I am. It's a guilty pleasure no, of mine. No, Phil. Uh, my, it yes, ain't so. Go, Phil. So it was um, it was sort of by osmosis because my wife is really into it. So it was one of those that like I was sort of like Stockholm syndromed into it because she'd be watching it. And I kind of go, well, what, what's going on? What else is on right now? And then I'd start to and it just it was just a rabbit hole after that. But now I've sort of transitioned into using it as uh, my feel good show, because every time I feel like I'm, you know, things are getting down for me, you know, things aren't going that well. I always watch that show and realize, you know, I could be getting catfished by some brought over in Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic. And instead, I actually have a wife at home that loves me. So it's great. You know, it's much better. You don't want to trade spots with Usman Soldier Boy anytime soon? That's a hard pass. I'm going to have to, uh, you know, as tempting as it would be to be with somebody like baby girl Lisa, it, uh, that's, a, that's a hard pass for me. You guys need to pass in your man card watching this hey, listen, damn show. Listen, don't knock it. There's that girl, Stephanie, on there. She was selling her farts in jars, and she made millions of dollars. She did. And it all started on 90 Day Fiance, so what do I know? <laughs> farts in jars. Well, I kid you not. Podcast has gone from lifting Ford Focuses to <laughs> hog wrestling to farts in jars. We're doing well here, boys. <laughs> oh, it's going to get even better because we're going to talk about wrestling. <laughs> yes. I'll be in the car. <laughs> when did you get into wrestling, Phil? I've always been into it. Uh, I grew up watching it. Um, I wrestled uh, in high school, did a lot of amateur and Olympic style wrestling. Um, and it's always just been a great uh, entertainment for me because I like movies. I like TV, like pop culture is my thing. So wrestling is just an extension of that, being able to suspend disbelief and watch these guys. I mean, I liken it to like, it's how soap operas would be written if they were written by men, you know, like they disagree over a woman. So they go out there and beat each other over the head with a chair. That's, that's how they settle. And then they move on with their lives, you know? So that was sort of that, you know, it was really appealing to me because it seemed like the right way to settle feuds. You can't do it in school, but you can watch it on TV and make it happen. So I've, I've always loved it. And I've seen such a change um, from, you know, the late nineties to where we are now. Uh, I missed the quote unquote golden age in the eighties and the seventies, but I, you know, there's archives for that. So I've still, I've been able to watch them. I just didn't experience them live, but my love of wrestling extends at least back that far. I don't think I've ever heard that before. It's soap operas for men. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Makes sense, right? It does. <laughs> yep. It totally yep. does. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's just as dramatic. You know, they, they, I, I once watched a match where the custody of a child was determined in a ladder match. <laughs> I mean, you can't find that on, on, Prime TV. <laughs> so who are your favorite wrestlers of all time? Oh, the list is long. Uh, it is long and distinguished because I'm, uh, you know, I'm not really a negative Nancy. I kind of like to find the positives in, in uh, most guys, but I would say influentially guys like Rey Mysterio, because I love an underdog story. He, you know, being the short fry, the cruiserweight, he always stood out to me. He's one of my first uh, one of the first guys I really followed, obviously the big ones like The Rock and Stone Cold got to be up there because they're just entertaining and those guys work so well together. Um, Undertaker, obviously, and even guys like, you know, 
HBK, Shawn Michaels, another guy who played the underdog so well because he was always mismatched. He was always smaller but had great charisma. And even even new guys – well, I say new guys, but he's been around for close to 20 years now, Randy Orton. Um, it's the, the list is long. It just depends on the era that we're talking about. Yeah, you didn't mention Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant yeah. or the Iron Sheik. No, I, well, you know, like, again, Big John I, Stud. I, I, try to, <laughs> I try to keep it in perspective of guys that I've had the experience of watching live. It, it's kind of hard for me to say, like, oh, Hulk Hogan's my favorite, even though I like a lot of his matches and what he did, but that's all in retrospect for me. I'm kind of, like, hit with the bias of seeing it through other people's eyes because they saw it before I did. John, who's your favorite wrestler? Uh, when I was younger, and uh, I found out since that everybody in wrestling hated him because he didn't look after guys when he was in the ring. He didn't care if he hurt people. But the Ultimate Warrior was my favorite when I was a kid. And then oh, Hulk Hogan was another one. I was going to guess And it. then actually, um, I also used to really like the Honky Tonk Man. When he was on, um, he was on every week, every Saturday. Ooh. And he was just entertaining. Like, he was just so funny to watch. So I enjoyed him, too. And uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan was another one, too. I always enjoyed him as an announcer. I thought he could have been a stand-up comic if he hadn't been in wrestling because he was he was always pretty funny. What about you, Manny? Randy Macho Man oh, Savage. Oh, Macho yeah. Man. Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was spot on. I thought I was listening to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bite into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Did you watch wrestling when you were younger? I've never watched a second of it. It's dumb. <laughs> wow. Wow. Shots fired. Okay, Phil. Phil convince, so hang on a second. No, hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. He, Matt, Matt, you're okay with watching 90 Day Fiance, but pro wrestling is dumb. Yes. I need to know the distinguish. I need to know the distinguish. Both are heavily scripted. Both feature characters that are well over the top. And most of them on both sides are made up 90% of silicone. So what's the difference between pro wrestling and 90 Day Fiance? Uh, 90 Day Fiance is something that I'm forced to watch as well. So, um, Oh, okay. They're past the buck. I, I see. likely okay. wouldn't watch either of them because they're both dumb. <laughs> You know, it's a respectable answer. Okay. <laughs> Big John Stud, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. How are these people? How does, where does Rowdy Rowdy Piper go and get groceries? <laughs> well, no, I mean, nowhere now. He passed away a few years right. ago. But, um, but he's got he's somebody in legends. Elizabeth you know, he's, to do it. <laughs> he's another, you know, Rowdy Piper is another Canadian legend. You know, a lot of those guys came from the from the Great White Brett, North. Brett the Hitman Hart, the Hart Brothers, Jim the yep. Anvil Nineheart. <laughs> Uh, the Hart Foundation, right out of Calgary, you know, training in the dungeon. They trained in Stu Hart's basement for crying out loud. Yeah, that sounds like it was kind of abusive, actually. When you when you hear those stories, <laughs> well, the, you know the they they called it the dungeon, but it was literally just Stu Hart's basement in his mansion. And it was, uh, I, I mean, I've watched all kinds of uh, video footage from back in the day of those guys training down there. And it was basically just old man Stu in an excuse to beat the heck out of these kids uh, and quote unquote <laughs> toughen them up for pro wrestling. And all of them speak so highly of it, which yeah, is insane to me because like... he'd be written up on so many, you know, abuse charges today. Like they'd have been shut down, but they all look back as the good old days, you know, like, oh, it was just hard, toughing us up for the business. Now it's like, oh, if we can do that, we should cancel the Hart Foundation. <laughs> Speaking of guys getting canceled, when we say Vince McMahon, a big one, what comes to mind? Uh, 
Vince McMahon is like Jesus Christ and the devil all wrapped into one. He was the best and worst thing to happen to pro wrestling in one in one bundle. Yeah, it's interesting because he's always uh, uh, been controversial. Like, um, I remember when I was yes. a kid following wrestling, like, he kind of broke the mold with how wrestling operated. Like, it was it used to be regional. And so all these different places, yes. all these different um, wrestling organizations, they kind of had their own territories. Like, um, one federation would sort of rule the Northeast, and one would rule the Southeast, yep. and you had one in Texas. And they kind of had a gentleman's agreement. Like, Georgia. we don't go into each other's territory. If there's a big superstar, he can go on a tour and kind of tour through the different uh, different organizations. We share them a little yep. bit, but we never infringe on each other's rights. And he was kind of the first guy that broke that mold and kind of went in and stole other people's talent and moved into other people's cities, right? Yeah. So when he was coming up into the business, something his father, Vince Sr., never wanted him to do. Um, you're right. It was all territorial. There was a uh, Mid-South Wrestling. Um, there was Georgia Wrestling that had, like you said, Texas and Houston, all the way up into Stampede Wrestling up in Calgary. And the way the territories are worked are exactly what John said. They, they had their own guys, uh, you know, working in the territories. And if one guy started to get stale, they would just move him to another territory for a while. And his name sort of carried with them. So that was, you know, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, that's how they moved them around. When Vince got into it with the Worldwide Wrestling Federation in New York and bought it from his dad, the agreement between him and his old man was that he wouldn't buy any of the other territories. He'd leave them alone and leave territorial wrestling as it was. Well, Vince wanted to be the Walt Disney of pro wrestling. So one by one, he went and bought each of these territories until he finally had the WWF and he had World Wrestling Federation. And it went against what his dad wanted because it's he wanted to keep it territorial, but Vince always wanted to bring it under one banner. And in doing so, he obviously monopolized the entire industry, which was for a time it was, you know, it was okay because, you know, finally all these stars were on a national broadcast and everybody got to see them. But then it obviously created um, competition with Time Warner and Turner and WCW. And, you know, for a while there, it was, you know, the Monday Night Wars with WCW going against WWF. And it was actually an exciting time in pro wrestling. And then once Vince bought WCW uh, in the 90s, that sort of put an end to it again. And there was no competition. And that's where, so the best thing that he did was, you know, bring pro wrestling to this global stage with WrestleMania, with putting it in all these different countries and, and all this different exposure on such a national and such a grand level, eventually taking WWE public and becoming this big publicly traded company. But the worst thing he did was he eliminated competition and the WWE was able to sort of skate by on whatever they wanted to do because there was no competition. It was the only thing to watch if you wanted to watch pro wrestling. And pro wrestling became really popular, right? That's right. It did under Vince because, again, Vince wanted the entertainment value. Vince never looked at pro wrestling as wrestling. To him, it was always entertainment. He always wanted it to be uh, th uh, like movies and, and TV. And they weren't athletes. They were entertainers. They weren't, you know, professional wrestlers. They were superstars. It was the WWE universe, not the fan base. They There were so many, like there's a long list of actual keywords that Vince had written down that guys couldn't say because it was too attributed to professional wrestling. They couldn't say title. They couldn't say belt. They couldn't say all these things because Vince wanted it to still be 
that entertainment value. And that's what he always wanted. That's what he envisioned. And eventually that's what he got because he was unstoppable. Nobody could touch him. So it was good that he brought it to such a national level and such a, a prominence. I mean, WrestleMania sells out, you know, football stadiums in the States, like, no, you know, 100,000 fans, like no problem. But at the same time, it's like, well, the product kind of got stale because there was nobody keeping him in check. And then you said it being untouchable. Um, he's had a lot of controversies over the years. Um, can you highlight some of those that come to mind? Oof. Uh, I mean, you, you don't have to. You don't have to look very hard. I mean, you, you, I'm certain he has a whole section of it on his Wikipedia, going as far back as his feuds with Hogan and the steroid scandal. Um, when it all came out that you know he was asking these guys to take steroids or or at least encouraging them to, when everybody sort of knew, but nobody was talking about it. And even today, you know, even with their wellness policy, his story writing because Vince had a lot of control over the over the room over the writer's room and it was sort of his last say and there's a lot of reports and a lot of stories of him changing storylines even the night of these big wrestling shows just because he decided he wanted to um you know and again that just comes down to him having so much power so you look at um his feuds with hulk hogan you know and then obviously like i said the steroid scandal then there was you know okay he there was the the montreal screw job obviously probably the biggest one because it's the first one that comes to mind because up until that point up until the screw job in montreal uh nobody knew vince actually owned wwe they had a character playing the wwe chairman and vince was just a commentator and that's how he wanted it the montreal screw job was where brett the hitman Hart decided to leave for the wcw but he was still the champion he agreed he would lose his title on the way out but he absolutely refused to lose it in canada because he was much more popular here than he was in the u.s vince mcmahon didn't trust him and arranged a conspiracy where the bell was rung during the match making it look like bret hart had given up when he hadn't and then he went back to the dressing room punched out vince mcmahon and after that everyone knew that vince mcmahon wasn't just an announcer he was the guy in charge and that led to the mr mcmahon character and that brought him to the forefront which led to just you know more things down the line i mean there are there's stories of him pitching stories where he was going to be the father of his daughter's baby because he thought it would be you know that sort of you know that would sell because that's controversial and that's that um jerry springer-esque theme that they wanted because that's what's going to get eyes on it and people kind of had to reel him in and say Vince like you know we actually like we can't do that you know and it's it's strange that his mindset was both let's be controversial and get eyes here and well we also have to answer to the shareholders now because we're a public company so he was trying to play both sides of it and then when they transitioned into the more PG era of pro wrestling from the TV 14 he started to tone it down a bit, but now all of this stuff has come out now of, um, you know, the the sexual harassment allegations and paying women off for sex, and now it's it's kind of strange because when I heard the allegations that eventually led to his retiring, I wasn't really surprised. As sad as that sounds, because you just kind of went, yeah, that seems like a Vince thing to do. You know, like this is the guy that hates sneezing. He sees sneezing as a weakness. He wouldn't let people sneeze in the writer's room because it'd piss him off. And it's like, well, okay, <laughs> let's just reel it in a minute, Vince. Like, let's calm down. So when you hear that, you kind of go as sad as it is like that, you know, that's sort of par for the course. So $12 million, though, is a pretty big number. 
that you use in WWE yeah. money to pay off women that he had affairs with. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, sleeping with women may be a Vince thing to do. Stealing twelve million dollars out of your company's bank <laughs> to do that is huge red flag. Oh, it's a, it, and that's what led to the investigation was because we're you know you were using our money to pay these women to sign NDAs to not say anything. And beyond that, one of the women that he allegedly paid off, he actually met in a co- in his condo down in I believe it was in Florida. Met her there, took a liking to her, wanted to pay her, wanted to keep her around the building in Connecticut, but didn't have a reason to keep her there. So they threw her in the legal department. They just gave her a job in legal because he wanted to keep her in the building. And now, you know, in you know, again, that just looks terrible because it's like, well, hang on a second here. Like, you just want her around for you, but you're giving her a job, and on top of that, paying her millions of dollars to keep her mouth shut about it. You know if Vince still has the yacht, a sexy bitch? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if he did. <laughs> and we should mention, too, all of this while he's married, too. So that's the other half of it is, yes, he's married. But from everything, all the reactions I've seen from veteran wrestlers is the reactions sort of been, yeah, he's married. But Linda and Vince haven't been together in, in years that. They've been married on paper and they wanted to make it look good because she was running for office. So they wanted to maintain that facade. But from everything, uh, guys like Jim Cornette, who I don't know, John, if you remember him from the territory days, he was a big booker back in the day. Um, He's got a lot of insight to how things were, were run around there while he was there for a while is that Linda was essentially living in a separate house and Vince was living in a different house or a different condo. And they haven't been married. So the affair looks bad, especially for a publicly traded company. The allegations look bad. But yeah, and then when you look at it like, oh, like he's still married. Well, he is and he isn't. You know, so that sort of muddies the waters a little bit there. Obviously, Linda will probably try to distance herself. Now. Yeah, but that's not right either. Like it's a marriage of convenience, no. probably to oh, keep as much money as you can, too. There's a, There's always something in it for him, right? Well, it's always strategy because if Linda had got into office, now all of a sudden Vince is in on that power, right? Now all of a sudden Vince has his hands in that particular cookie jar, even though they're just a couple on paper. So it's all about the end game for him. And it's all about, this is what years ago, Chris Jericho said it, that Vince McMahon's a millionaire that should have been a billionaire. And now you sort of see why with this frugal spending that he has going on, paying women to keep their mouth shut and then trying to start the XFL twice and failing. Do you think all of this is fake too, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> no, this I don't think is fake. Now, do I? would I be surprised if they tried to spin it into a storyline? No, absolutely not. That would not surprise me either. It would not surprise me if there was a storyline that came up where there was uh, a woman, uh, a, a woman performer who you know started running her mouth about, oh, this is why I never got the promotion and you did. Like it wouldn't surprise me if they worked it into a storyline somehow, but no, I don't think this. I don't think this aspect of it is is a work, as they say in the business. Do you think people give Vince McMahon a slide because he built up the WWE to this powerhouse entertainment company? I think I think certain people will, but I also think that um, in today's in today's culture of you know of the Me Too movement, everything that came out with you know just how you know, how grimy and dirty Hollywood was, it's sort of awoken everybody to be like, okay, like, you know, even though we might have known this was going on with Vince, we can't turn a blind eye to it. So it'll be a, it'll be a case of 
credit where credit's due. And yes, he built this great thing, but he's, you know, a 70 year old man who was keeping, essentially keeping escorts in the building on a publicly traded company while having an affair. So it's like, we have to kind of acknowledge that as well and say, you know, yeah, he did these great things, but you know, he's also not the greatest person in the world. Yeah. He's a terrible person, (laughs) but a pretty savvy businessman, I guess. Yes. So growing WWE into a, into a, a, you know, a multi-million dollar or billion dollar company from next to nothing, you know, is what he'll get credit for. But unfortunately it'll come down to, how he's remembered on his way out. I never thought we'd see him retire. I never thought that um, he'd step away, especially after everything he's gone through, through his controversies over the years. I found it hard to believe that this was going to be the thing that finally made him step aside and say, okay, I'm going to retire. Well, when there's $12 million missing from the bank, that might do it, right? I mean, it might, you know, it's again, that's, you know, that's retires the, uh, a that's funny the word. Red, that's, that's the red flag. Yeah. Re, it's the, it's the polite way of saying, Hey, you need to go and we don't want to make a big deal out of this. <laughs> One other question I have. Um, I don't know if you were around at the time it happened, but do you know how it came to be that wrestling admitted that it wasn't real? Because that was always the thing they would never say, Oh no, 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 no. And now they admit, yes, we have a writer's room. There's a writing staff and even fans who are watching the action in the ring know that it's scripted. When did wrestling finally decide to just let the public in on that? So that happened all around the steroid scandal um, and his, and his lawsuits against Hulk Hogan is it all had to come out because it all, ha- they, they all had to testify that, you know, none of this is real. This is all a work. This is all, you know, scripted. The outcome is scripted. What they do in the ring is real, but, you know, it's all pre-planned. And again, that's something that a lot of the diehard fans will always be upset with him about because people like to suspend that disbelief. I mean, back in the territory days, because it was so real, um, Jake Roberts told a story about an old lady stabbing him at a house show <laughs> because she because she thought he was legitimately a bad guy. <laughs> Jake you know, the Jake the Snake, uh, her grandkids were watching an episode of, I, I can't remember what promotion he was with, but they were watching it and they were like, you know, gra- you know, her, the grandma was going off, but what a bad guy he was. And the kid's like, oh, you won't do anything. So she showed up this show and stabbed him. <laughs> like that was, that was how real wrestling was back in the day. But then when it all, when, when, when Vince and Hogan had their little feud, it all had to come out because they were all subpoenaed to court and they all had to say, yeah, no, like this is all like pre-scripted. Like we all write these storylines and we all decide on what happens. And Vince, that was always sort of his end goal anyways, because he wanted the show. So when they got into feuding with WCW, that sort of actually came into the storyline itself. And it was a weird meta that they created where, you know, like that's that's what was born out of the whole Stone Cold and Vince McMahon feud that carried them through the Attitude Era was because everyone knew Vince was Stone Cold's boss and Stone Cold was, you know, the redneck going against the authority. And it it helped at the time. And now we're all sort of in this weird area where it's like, okay, we want it to be real, but we all know it's not. So how can we make it look real even though everyone knows it's a work. Well, it's about creating compelling storylines and still not knowing the average viewer, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. So now Vince McMahon's daughter is the co-CEO of WWE and everybody's left to wonder what's Vince McMahon's legacy going to be. So Vince McMahon, like I said, Vince is the, is the, has been the best and worst thing to go through pro wrestling. Um, He makes changes or made changes sort of out of necessity. You go back to the, 
uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit deaths uh, and what happened with Chris and his family, that brought a light to, okay, this is everything that WWE and Vince McMahon are asking of their performers. There was a time when these guys wrestled over 300 days a year, like nonstop. Like it wasn't just Monday Night Raw and Friday Night or Thursday Night SmackDown at the time. It was they would wrestle uh, Monday Night Raw, then they would tape SmackDown on a Tuesday. They'd be on the road Wednesday, then they'd do house shows Thursday, Friday, maybe have an off day Saturday and a pay-per-view Sunday. And Vince's whole thing was always, I would never ask these guys to do anything I wouldn't do. But Vince was crazy. Right. Vince did all this stuff on his own anyways. This guy this guy was worth a, you know multi, multi-millions of dollars, and he was wrestling in the ring against Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, and bleeding all over the place and tearing his quads and stuff just because, you know, he's the boss and he wanted to be the center of attention. Then everything happens with Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and the concussion stuff. Eddie Guerrero died of heart failure and Chris Benoit, our listeners might remember, it was all over the news, killed his wife and son and then himself over a three-day period and was found to have had severe brain damage due to many years of trauma due to wrestling. All of that caused the WWE to take a serious look at how to improve the overall wellness of his athletes. But that was only born out of necessity from Vince pushing all of his wrestlers. So that's that's sort of the contrast with Vince is, you know, yes, it is a much safer work environment now. Guys are a lot safer. You know, there's no unprotected chair shots to the head. Blading, you know, purposely cutting yourself isn't a thing anymore under Vince's watch. But that was all born out of necessity from guys quite literally killing themselves in the ring just for the entertainment of the fans. So it'll always be a yin and a yang with him. And now Stephanie's running it with Triple H and the the future will be different but it'll also feel old, if that makes sense, under those two. Old means the new storylines may not exist in the future for wrestling fans. So I feel like under this new leadership with uh, Stephanie and Nick Khan and Triple H, they're going to want to get the... The, the fan base that Vince was building when he switched to PG was more for kids. You know, like That's why they had guys like John Cena and all the Make-A-Witch stuff, because... That was what he wanted to start gearing to. Well, now a lot of those kids are older. A lot of those kids have grown up. And now there's going to be a, a fundamental change in cohesive storyline because Vince had ADHD and couldn't keep a storyline together for more than a couple of weeks before he'd say, oh, well, I'm done with that. Let's move on to the next. Triple H lived that. He lived the Attitude Era. He knows what it takes to write good stories and, and have good stories. So the storyline product is going to be better. I don't know what the business is going to do. I, I I don't know much about like stocks and bonds and all that nonsense. All I know is the stock went up when Vince retired. I don't know if that's par for the course in companies. Um, but I, I feel like now, especially with AEW creating actual competition for WWE, something they haven't had since the nineties, there's the pressures on now for, we need to do something different. We can't always do what we've done for the last 20 years without competition. So before we let you go, Phil, uh, we've had a few of Manny's buddies on here to try to get good stories from him. Um, they won't tell us anything. So <laughs> you got to give us something here. What is it actually like to work with John Rashad? To work with John? Yes. Oh, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a treat. You know, you never know what you're going to get working with John. Um, anytime he calls down to Shelburne, it's always serious off the hop until he realizes who he's talking to. Uh, and then it's just a, you know, just a mess after that because he's, he'll let you know everything that's going on in the, in the, in the you know, newsroom up there. John, 
John's the kind of guy that, you know, he just he's just kind of around, you know, picking up all these stories from everybody. And you don't really know what he knows, but he knows what he knows and he's not going to tell you what he knows. So it's okay. We'll just we'll just keep our eye on on John. So he's the office gossip is what you're saying. He he likes to get guys going, you know, like he doesn't gossip. He just like leads everybody into it and then gets them gossiping. You know, he just starts the whole thing. Uh, and then he has a good story to share with somebody else afterwards. Absolutely. We exactly. We get 100%. It. Absolutely. We get it. What, so John's not listening now. We've kicked him out. What does Jill say about John? Oh, she she says some not PG things about Jonathan. I'll say that. Um, a lot of things I can't repeat on air, you know, lest uh, <laughs> I get canceled. But from the sounds of it, it's quite the happy marriage they've got. I don't believe oh, it. Duh. <laughs> that's don't what she tells me. That's what hey, that's what she tells me. And maybe it's because she's my boss. That's what she's telling me. And maybe she's leading me down the river. I don't know. It's not my place to say. <laughs> oh, because Jill is your boss, you don't want to share anything. I get it. Uh-huh. We, you know, <laughs> I don't know if she listens to this now. or not. She says she does. She says she takes an interest in John things. I don't know if that's a bunch of malarkey. Not a chance. <laughs> you should hear the things we say about Manny now that he's not there. One thing I'll say too about Phil, um, we've had him talking about uh, serious topics here, but he is an absolutely hilarious guy. And uh, Phil, your meme game on social media, <laughs> it's very strong. I'm not very good at, um, you know, articulating my thoughts, but I'm good with pop culture. And if there's a feeling that I have, I will find a gift that works with it. <laughs> Best thing ever. Phil, it was great to reconnect and have you on the podcast. Hey, I loved it. Anytime. Anytime you guys want to talk wrestling or uh, strongman or powerlifting, you know, I'm your man. <laughs> Deal. Take care. Don't, don't break your back over those Ford focuses though. I'll do my best. <laughs> Our thanks again to Phil DeLand for joining us on the show to talk some wrestling. I didn't realize how much he loves wrestling and knows about wrestling. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, he knows a lot about a lot of different sports, and uh, he's definitely very knowledgeable in news and all those types of things. But yeah, big, big wrestling fan. That's encyclopedic knowledge, you might say. Yeah. And you hired this guy? Yeah, and I hired this guy before I left. I hired this guy for Shelburne. I hired John's wife and him to lead the Shelburne station. (laughs) And I think they're the only intact newsroom out of the million stations (laughs) in Bayshore since that left. Everybody else has had a new face walk in. (laughs) And Phil, he uh, proved he was worth his weight in gold not long after he started. We had a big storm and he had to go to the transmitter and start a generator and keep the station on the air he was a rock star in his first little uh first month i think while he was at the company wow wow so he's more than a journalist and a power lifter he's an engineer and a wrestling fan he's an engineer wow oh yeah he can do it all jack of all trades i know some engineers That's that great. worked at that station that didn't do that much in five years <laughs> What? There's a storm? We're out? I'll deal with it tomorrow. That was the atmospherics. Hey, remember, if you enjoy listening to our show, send us an email. Let us know. If you have any guest suggestions, questions for an upcoming debate, send us an email for futureconsiderations at gmail.com. And remember, we're doing oldies August. 
yes. in uh, in Pump It or Dump It. So uh, older songs before the 1990s, would they still be songs we would play today? Throw those out there. And we're always posting on social media too. Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram for future considerations on Facebook. Just watch that George Springer Grand Slam from Tuesday night over and over and over again if you're a Blue Jay fan and talk about how you're going to win the World Series. Did you win some money on that? I did. I did. I, I fist pumped on did. George Springer's uh, Grand Slam of for the record. For the record. Of course you did. We want to thank our sponsors on this episode, London Awnings, Quality That Shows, and Shane Topolovic of Next Level Athletics in Windsor, specializing in sport training and nutrition. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you next week for episode number 142 of Four Future Considerations. We'll talk to you then. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.